0: A question as we begin our study of this passage today. Are the fellow Christians with which you spend your days really easy to get along with? Are they slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen? Do they esteem others better than themselves? And then may I ask you the same, because you're one of those fellow Christians, part of the brethren. Are you easy to get along with? Are you slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen, esteeming others better than yourself? That's the subject of God's exhortation to us here in these words of 1 Peter 1. Let me read them for you again, beginning in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, I'd like to begin this study by first taking a look at the personality and the character of the Apostle Peter, who was the one honored by God to write these words from him. All throughout these words of this letter and also the second letter, we find that God allows us to clearly see this individual personality of the Apostle Peter. And it's a personality that is strong, aggressive, intentional. Always pushing forward to know and to love the Lord Jesus more and more. And also always exhorting others to do the same. But though his personality be strong and intentional, his heart and his behaviors towards his flock were always tender and gentle. He used words of encouragement as he assured them that they had everything that they needed for life and godliness. And they had that because and through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus and through the salvation that he provides, calling on those in his flock to not return to the lifestyle and the behaviors that they once enjoyed, that once enslaved them to sin, but instead... To be holy as God Himself is holy. And here also Peter assures his flock of who it is that they are being called to worship and to bow down to. That Jesus Christ, though being in appearance the same as them, was no ordinary man. He was and is God. He was God in the beginning with the Father. As these words tell us, foreknown to be the very King of glory. The one who came among men to suffer and to die. Paying the full penalty for all our sins. Setting captives free. That everything that Christ did, he did to provide them. And also, you and me, with all that we would need to have faith and hope in God. And in God alone. Always, ever and always, doing that which would benefit others. And that was so with this flock that Peter was shepherding here in these words. And because that flock had been given so much, much was going to be required of them. And that is always true with the Lord. That which we are given, we are expected to use back to bless the Lord. Verse 22 again, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the field. The, The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. Now, let's... Remember the context of these words. They were written to very strong, committed Christian believers, men and women, who had, as verse 22 tells us, been purified by obedience to the Word of God, to the truth of God. Their souls had been purified by His Word. These words are a reminder to us as that none of God's words here in these Scriptures are ever miscellaneous. And neither are they simply metaphors to be taken lightly. As we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there is secret wisdom from God that fills each one of these words that we read. It's all intertwined into each phrase, this secret wisdom of God. And here the secret wisdom is that God's Word has a mystical power that resides within it that as we read it, or as we hear it read, or as we sing it in a hymn, There's a power within those words that actually reaches in and cleanses and purifies our souls. Washes away, wipes away all of the filth and the taint and the stain of sin and of sinful behavior. You'll recall in the words that we studied recently from Ephesians 5 that speak of how we as husbands are to minister to our wives. The Lord uses these exact words. We're told there that we are to wash Our wives with the water of the Word. Wash our wives with the water of the Word. It's an odd expression, but it's profound truth. I'm commanded each day to shower the Word of God over my wife, and then by that Word, she is cleansed and purified from her sin. Now think about this for a moment, because if I don't do that, if I find some other distraction... That takes me away from that, then she will not be cleansed or purified from her sin by this Word of God. There's a consequence for the things that we do and the things that we don't do. And so we must be diligent, and the Lord uses that word strongly. You and I, men, we're to be diligent. This Word of God cleanses and purifies our souls. For those of you here today, that's going to take place. For all of these empty pews here, that is not going to take place. For all of those who should be sitting here in this church, that will not take place. And that's a very painful thought. Jesus said to His disciples in John 15, He said, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And as I then speak to you, out the words of God to you here. You are clean because of these words. Now you and I may not at all comprehend how that works. It's very mystical. But it really does do exactly that. His truth is able to cleanse and purify each one of us from our sins. And then having been cleansed and purified, our behavior changes. We become different people. We act differently. We think differently. And that had taken place in the hearts of these believers. Their hearts had been purified. And now having been purified, they were prepared to go then and work out that salvation that they had received from Christ in all those practical matters of daily life and amongst the brethren. And it was to be especially evidenced in the way that they showed love. Towards one another. Those words again. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again. Not a perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Folks his word is powerful. It is living and active and it is sharper than any double-edged sword able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intents of our heart. We become different people because of the Word of God being showered upon us. Now here, again, the personality of Peter. This is Peter faithfully passing along that which he had been given by the Lord Jesus. You'll recall that after Jesus had risen from the dead, He came back to visit with His disciples there on the beach of of the Sea of Galilee. And that's when Jesus took Peter aside and asked him three times, Peter, do you love me? And each time he would ask him, do you love me? He would say to Peter, feed my sheep. And that's what Peter was doing here with this flock. And what these words tell us, folks, is that our Christianity, that which we receive, that which we are receiving today, is not given to us solely for our own personal gain and enjoyment. It is that. You and I, yes, will be blessed and benefited from this gospel. But even more so, it is to be given back out for the benefit and the gain of others. How do we know that to be true? We're being told that here in these words, but it's also the whole ministry that took place while Christ was with us. Everything that He did was done so that others might gain. His suffering, His death, His resurrection, all of that was done for the benefit of others. And also, such as in the nature of the blessed gift of grace, one of God's ultimate demonstrations of love, this grace of salvation that has been given to us, the spiritual gifts that the Lord is giving to us, and the fruits of the Holy Spirit are all given to us to bless us, but then for us to turn around and to bless others. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are intended to bless other people. The fruits of the Spirit that literally should be hanging all over us daily are for others to partake of and to be blessed by. Grace has changed our lives and our personalities completely. It had done that with those in His flock there, and it has taken place with you and me as we have received Christ. His grace has made you and I alive in this present kingdom of God. And we are being admonished with all urgency to pass that grace along to other people. We dare not, listen, we dare not be found guilty of hoarding God's grace for our own benefit and enjoyment. Of forming some kind of logjam where grace cannot flow out to others. Folks, it's it's the nature of grace to be a free-flowing river of blessings. Washing and cleansing the souls of other people. And you and I need to be about that every day. Are we about that every day? Do we do that every day? And as he's telling this group here, the Apostle Peter is saying, love is the best evidence of this free-flowing grace. Listen to these words from First Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is that which all of the other things that we say to people flows on. If they don't perceive that love, they simply don't receive the rest of what we're trying to say. Too often we hear the expression in churches that 15% of the people in church in the churches do 85% of the work. 3% of Christians tithe. What we do is we take the Lord's provision, whether it be the money that He gives to us, whether it be the opportunities, the gifts, and the fruits, and we are like someone who has discovered buried treasure. We do all we can to hide it from others and use it for ourselves. But listen, such cannot work well with grace, and especially with the grace of the gift of love. As we know, love not shared and enjoyed with someone else is of no value. It's of no value. Even worse, it almost always becomes painful to us. And I'm reminded that of the expression, unrequited love leaves a person broken and lost. When love is not returned, it's not exchanged. It leaves you with a broken heart. Love needs to bind the brethren together. I'm reminded of a sermon I heard once that used the embers of a fireplace as a metaphor that as burning embers are kept closely touching each other, they keep each other alive and burning brightly. But if those embers are separated and isolated from the other embers, they quickly languish and die. And that is the nature of the grace of the gift of love. As love is allowed to flow out to the blessing and benefit of others, that love flourishes and thrives. Love is the most essential element to the life of the body of Christ. Those words again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. I'd like to pause here for a moment for us to notice these words that I just read. This is one of those precepts of God that's not necessarily part of what I'm talking about here today, but I want to bring it up because if not, we'll miss it. Verse 23, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. As you and I are born again, we actually become a whole new creature. The old creature is gone. The new has come. And as these words tell us, the new creature, our new being, is of imperishable seed. What does that mean? Imperishable seed. It means that we can never, never perish. That our eternity, our eternal life is now guaranteed. We are now imperishable seed. And praise be to God, who will never allow us to be taken out of His hand. That's how much God loves you and me. And so our passage again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. I'd like to take another moment and consider again the specific circumstances given to us here in these words. This exhortation being given is for these brethren in these churches to love one another. So I pondered, do these words perhaps imply that these particular brethren, these particular believers, were they not getting along perhaps? That is thought to be so by some of the commentators, and it may be so. And having worked in a close-knit Christian ministry environment for over 30 years, I do know firsthand that Christians do struggle to remain in agreement with one another. Now, in saying that, I want to quickly say that such lack of agreement does not necessarily mean that some of those fellow brethren are in some form of blatant sin. Sometimes that does occur. But in the ministry that we worked in, it seldom ever was the case. But to the contrary, most all the disagreements and arguments took place when two or more on-fire Christians wanted to do a similar thing, but just in different ways. And so they disagreed. And sometimes those disagreements were very difficult. I recall other circumstances of disagreement, especially one where some of the workers would want to perhaps do a particular project. And they believe very strongly that God was leading them to do this new project. But their supervisors would not go along with it. And so they would be so unhappy and in disagreement with each other. So simply put, close-knit Christian ministries are rife with opportunities for the brethren to fuss and to not get along with each other. And the more zealous and the more on fire the members, the greater the probability of disagreement. But listen, God's answer is always a simple one. Love one another as I have loved you. Those words in John 13 verse 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. God is calling us as brethren within not only this church, but within the Christian community to love one another and to love one another earnestly. I'd like to give us one more confirmation concerning this loving the brethren. And it's from 1 John 3, which introduces another possibility into one of the whys. We don't get along. And it involves vanity and pride. Let me read these words. This is 1 John 3. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. Now all these words and all the other exhortations from the Lord for us to love one another, they are common in all forms of our relationships, whether it be in our workplace, in our church, in our families. All of these opportunities are there for us to love or not to love. In the workplace and in the church, vanity and pride Vanity and pride are especially evident. Merit. Merit is of first order. In our workplaces, titles and credentials and positions of authority give open invitation to all forms of vanity and pride. Esteem is honored because of those initials that come after our names or perhaps on the signs over our doorways. And once vanity and pride have been given entrance into a person's mind, there is little way of keeping it from corrupting and, and from destroying those relationships that are within the group. And that's so in our churches. Too often, the members will have their little enclaves of power, beginning with the pastors, with the elders, with the deacons, even the music directors and the ones who do the special music. They get influenced by vanity and pride. Each one of us probably has seen that take place. It's heartbreaking. But here in these words, the Lord gives us a reminder of how fleeting whatever our claim to fame might be or our position of importance. Listen what the Lord says about those positions of importance, that vanity and pride. He says, "...all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of the grass." The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You and I are like the grass that is dying away right now out in our yards. It is only the word of the Lord that is worthy of esteem and of remaining forever. Bosses come and go. Supervisors come and go. Pastors come and go. And on and on. But only the word of the Lord is worthy of lasting through the ages. And it is this love that the Lord is speaking of here that we're admonished to show towards one another in the body of Christ. And it carries on forward both not only to those among us today, but on into future generations. And it needs to do that. Loving one another within the brethren is the lifeblood of every congregation. And to the extent that you and I are willing to humble ourselves and to esteem each other better than ourselves, to esteem your needs above my own, that is the extent to which the body of Christ will flourish and thrive in this church and any church. So then, brethren, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, I exhort you to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Let's pray.